0: We didn't break up because of the sex, but we broke up because I was not feeling that I had a partner. I felt like I had a pet.
1: back to another episode of Dear Men. Um, This one is going to be part of a series we're going to do about truth-telling and honesty in dating and relationships because it occurs to me that that is um, part of what's missing in our education system and many of us don't have it modeled at home and it turns out to be critically important in relationships. Who would have thought? Um, and today, I'm really excited. I have Violet Lang here with me. Welcome back to the podcast, Violet.
0: Hi, great to be here. Thanks, Melanie.
1: Expert on sexuality, dating, relationships, um, and everything in between, <laughs> um, with a specialty in women and women's pleasure and pleasure focused practices, which is related to what we're talking about, which has to do with how to keep the passion alive in a long term relationship. This is something probably all of us have encountered, unless I guess you're really, really young. Um, and welcome to the podcast if you're that young. Um, and <clears throat> I think the, the, main challenges when it comes to keeping the passion alive I feel like when we're we're sort of thinking about it intellectually we tend to focus a lot on the sex itself and sexuality but what we're talking about today is the relationship between sexuality and hidden resentments so the little hurts that pile up in relationships that don't get handled and how that impacts the sex because I think a lot of times couples that like say go to a sex counselor, a sex therapist, they think it's all about the sex when really there's more going on. So we're going to be talking about that today. Um, And I would love to start with um, just your experience on a personal level with with the topic, because I think you have some interesting background.
0: Absolutely. So I was in a six-year relationship. We were married for almost five years, and we were dating slash engaged for about one and a half years. And the sex was really a problem in that relationship, but there were other underlying problems that contributed to the sex being a problem because I met him when I was 21 and mm-hmm. I did not have skills or tools for how to communicate. I was very sexually you know, repressed and kind of shut down. And then I also was a chronic people pleaser. Mm. I did not know how to speak up for my needs. I didn't even really know what my needs were. Yeah. Uh, And I also didn't trust myself. I remember the first time that I started working with a coach, I was 27 and she was like, well, what does it mean to trust yourself? And I had no idea. I was like, I've never even thought about the concept of trusting myself. It was just a foreign language. So I myself had a lot of work that I needed to do. And then he had his things that were challenges for him as well. But we probably had sex less than five times in the last three or four years of our marriage. Whoa. Like maybe once a year. Whoa. Uh, And we were in our 20s when everyone says that you're supposed to be having lots of sex. So, um, yeah, a lot of emotional and relational and sexual challenges in that experience.
1: And did you know, I'm curious, like, at the time, like, were you aware, like, this is a problem?
0: I didn't realize it was a problem until I started noticing my own sexual energy more. Hmm. So I noticed in one of the last years of our relationship... I actually found another man that I was working with attractive. I never flirted with him. We never went out. It was just me noticing, oh, my God, I'm actually attracted to some men in my like work environment that aren't my husband. And I had a lot of guilt and shame around that. And so I just pushed those feelings down, <laughs> the guilt, the shame, and the attraction. And then I just told myself, well, I'm in, I'm in this marriage. And I had kind of known that we had issues, but I just thought, well, this is my cross to bear. This is my relationship. I chose this, you know, I have to be in this forever. So it wasn't until later when I realized, no, I really do need more sex that I brought. I actually did bring that up to my husband at the time and he was really shut down. And so we never made any progress on that.
1: Mm. How did you bring it up?
0: I'm curious. Not very tactfully. (laughs) Um, Like I would be drunk and I would say, I want you to have sex with me. I want you to want me. Like we never have sex. And I would probably not say it in a very loving way. It was more of like a demanding and probably shaming too, which should not help. Like, why don't you want me? Or why don't you want to have sex more? And, um, I've experienced someone saying that to me, so I know how damaging Mm -hmm. that can be. So Mm -hmm. that was not helpful. And then I would initiate sometimes like kind of, you know, initiate the process. Uh, but it never, it never really got very far. Either he wasn't interested or he had his own challenges in that area.
1: Yeah. So And talk to me about the connection, like, that you feel like there was between you two, like, because part of the, what we're talking about is the little hurts or the the little resentments that can build up in a relationship. Do you feel like you guys had those from the start of your relationship or did they get progressively worse? Like, what was the state of that in your, in your former
0: marriage? That's a great question because I do think in most relationships... It gets worse. People talk about, well, you know, we're married, so we have less sex now. Or they talk about, you know, falling into these patterns. So it's typically not thought of that as you get closer and closer, you have more and more sex. But it, it should be, and it could be. We we weren't experiencing a lot of little hurts. That wasn't my experience. It was more some resentments of feeling that I didn't respect my partner. Mm. So I've been in relationships where the partner was really sarcastic and biting and and ininten- unintentionally belittling and things like that and that caused me to pull away sexually and otherwise but in my first marriage what caused me to pull away sexually and otherwise was feeling that i didn't respect my partner mm. and feeling feeling that i um a bit helpless like i didn't know how to fix the re- fix the situation so i just kind of mothered mothered it instead mm. of being a partner mm.
1: can you talk a little about why you didn't respect him
0: Yes. I lost respect for him over time because there was a lot of there was a lot of not taking responsibility for his life. So if there was a problem, it was, oh, this thing is happening and it's so annoying and I don't know how to fix it. So, for instance, when he was looking for jobs at one point he was like, the HR person contacted me, but I don't know what to say. Will you write the email for me? So I was doing things for him beyond the scope of Mm -hmm. a wife Mm -hmm. in my mind. Um, and I was really taking care of him. You know, I did all the cleaning. I did all the cooking. I worked more hours. I made more money than him. Uh, he had some challenges sexually. And when he would tell me about them, he would say, you know, I'm such a chump and I didn't know what to say at the time other than, oh, no, you're not. It's okay. So I was trying to make him feel better when he was in this more victim mentality instead of saying, yeah, this is a real challenge. I'd really like us to get some help on it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's like pause on that for a second. Cause I think that, um, can we talk about the challenges? Yes. Okay. So he had some issues with premature ejaculation. Yeah. And this was, um, this was, I'm guessing for you, something that you maybe thought would get better over the course of the relationship or you thought would change, but then it didn't. Is that like kind of right?
0: I also didn't know what was normal. I mean, he was only my second partner and my first partner, we had only had sex one time in our whole relationship. We basically had sex and the relationship ended. Um, So I just didn't know. I had no idea what was normal. Uh, I had no idea... That this was something that could be fixed or solved. I think I didn't assume it was gonna get better. I assumed that my needs didn't really matter.
1: Oh, okay. So the reason you would say, like, oh, it's okay, it's okay, was because it was like, well, maybe it's not important that that's fixed or
0: solved? Yes. Okay. And did that, that, did that mentality hold over the course? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) No. I mean, because when, when I was, you know, maybe 26, 27, after we had been married three or four years, I started realizing, wait, I really do have this desire. I, my desire woke up in Mm. my mid twenties and all of a sudden my needs that I had said were not important, all of a sudden were very important. And I had done a lot of, things clever, not so clever things to suppress my needs. Like I was a workaholic. I ran, I ran a marathon and ran a lot. I was doing a lot of things to use my sexual energy that I didn't know until now that I was suppressing a lot of what would have been a normal desire for human connection and Mm. and for sex. Mm.
1: And so would you say that as your desire was waking up, that's when you started to feel more, more resentful of the sex, not being what you wanted?
0: Yes, the desire was awakening. I was becoming more and more resentful and also realizing, you know, this isn't, this isn't normal. Not that, I mean, everything is normal in its own context, but I started realizing, okay, if we're having sex once a year, that is not normal. So would you say there was a connection between
1: when your desire woke up and the resentment starting to build?
0: Yes. It happened in parallel because my desire was awakening and I was realizing I did want to have more sexual closeness and experience with my partner. And then at the same time, my respect for him was decreasing. And I I would guess... That for a lot of men, when they're stuck in a place of shame or stress or feeling just not enough in their life, that they don't feel the same virility or penetration, penetrating the world, sort of like, yeah, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, I'm a man, yeah, and I take what I want, or not. Obviously, that sounds a bit bad, but I go after what I want. So he was really missing the I go after what I want. I was feeling resentful of doing what I felt to be everything in the relationship, including emotionally caring from him for him beyond what was healthy. Mm and and i was my needs were waking up at the same time so it's kind of a perfect storm
1: mm-hmm. and so and you you guys ended that marriage that
0: yes it was about a year and a half between when i started asking him for more sex and we got separated uh we separated and then got divorced and we did go to a couples counselor a few times but he was not really open to that so the counselor said i don't think you guys should come back because he was he, your husband. He, my husband. Oh, okay. was, my ex-husband was, like, yelling most of the session and having a major reaction. All of his suppressed anger really... Wow. ...really came out. Yeah, which was very out of character for him, so... Oh, my um, God. Yeah. This is a so, whole other episode. I'm yeah. fascinated by that interlude. <laughs> yes. Um, so, yeah, it, we didn't break up because of the sex, but we broke up because I was not feeling that I had a partner. I felt like I had a pet.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. There's a soundbite right there. (laughs) Um, Okay. So I want to kind of fast forward a little bit to you did a whole bunch of work on yourself. You did a lot of personal growth work. You dealt with your own trauma. You have a trauma background and now you're in a, another marriage and it's completely different. So I'm wondering in this relationship what is different when it comes to, um, that connection? Like, I guess what I'm asking is, do you notice that also in this relationship when there's little hurts or resentments that it does impact you and how open you are sexually to your man?
0: Yes. And before I get into that, I just want to say one quick thing about my first marriage. Because there were a lot of gifts in that relationship. I felt very safe emotionally and otherwise in that relationship, even though there was not a lot of connection. And because there was not a lot of sex, I didn't have to deal with my own suppressed issues with sexuality. So I just want to give thanks to my my first husband because he did provide a really safe space for me to really focus on my career and accomplish a ton of things and not have to work on these other things. And And who knows if I had the skills that I have now and he had skills that he didn't have then if we would have still stayed together but I just I do have gratitude for what I learned from that experience because a lot of what I learned in that experience I use when I am coaching the women that I work with mm. now and working with the women I work with and they helped me build a totally different relationship with Jason my my current husband mm. so my relationship with Jason is totally different. We have a very flourishing, healthy sex life. Of course, we have things that we're always, you know, working on and improving because who doesn't want more and more and more Mm -hmm. and deeper and deeper and deeper and better sex. So that's great. But it is hands down the best sex of my life consistently time after time after time with him. And it does keep getting better. So that's amazing. But I do notice that If I am not being forthright with him about what I need, what I want, something that's bothering me, then I will just slowly start to pull away Mm -hmm. and use my friends or work or other things as outlets for my my love, you know, mm-hmm. my heartfelt connection, my passion. And so we have a pretty clear policy that if we have a resentment, we share it with each other and we clear that resentment. We have something called the couple bubble, which Stan Tatken, who's a psychologist, came up with, and he has some great books about attachment. But we don't say anything to anyone else in our life, a colleague, a parent, a friend, anyone, that we haven't already shared with our partner. Mm. So if I was upset with Jason that he you know, said something hurtful to me, I could never tell a friend, Oh my God, Jason said this thing to me that was hurtful until I had cleared it with Jason. I didn't have to ask for his approval to tell my friend, but I needed to bring that information to him first. So he had the opportunity to fix it and repair it with me. So that's been so helpful because then I know that he's not talking with one of his friends about something I said, and I'm not talking about something that he did or said with someone else. It's like, go to the spot where the pain is and heal it then and there.
1: Mm. So, yeah, that is the, that is the thing that most of us are not doing. Um, most of us are not going to our partner when our feelings are hurt and talking about it. Um, I'm guessing that's true for the women you work with as well. And are you, do you find that that, that kind of withholding is impacting their sex lives too?
0: Yes. Typically, if a woman is withholding how she feels, anyone, not just a woman, but I find it's more common with women. If we're re- withholding how we feel, if we're not speaking our truth, if we're walking on eggshells, if we're disempowering our partner by being in the mom mom mode in the relationship, then we are not feeling open. And conversely, if the partner is critical or not appreciating us, then we're also not going to feel open. Mm. So, there's also the flip side of this of where the partner is kind of biting or hurtful and the feminine thrives on appreciation. If I can tell just a quick story, I did a workshop with Sheila Kelly, the founder of S factor and she led us through a process where we got in touch with some of the pain from our past. And she had one of us go like to talk about it, but her process was really interesting because we weren't really talking that much about the pain. And I was a person who, who went, so I sat in the middle of the circle of about 30 women And instead of talking about what had happened to me and processing it the way that you would in maybe a talk therapy session, she said, just feel it in your body and have your body take the shape that it wants to take. And so I got into a little ball. I kind of curled into a little ball. I was sitting upright, but I was holding my knees. And then she asked every woman in the circle to go around and share something they appreciated about me. So one woman said, well, I love the fall of your hair right now. And then another woman said, I love this or I love that. And some of it was energetic. Some of it was physical. But the funny thing is, without me even knowing what was going to happen, every person that said something to me where I felt seen, I opened up more. So mm-hmm. by the end of the circle, by the last woman who said something, I was already almost standing. I had felt so empowered and so seen and so mm-hmm. loved that it it felt, it made a huge difference. So I think when a partner hurts us or when we feel hurt just by the world our tendency is to ball up like I balled up. But when our partner shows their love for us, even in our suffering, then we feel open and receptive.
1: Yeah. I think there's something really important about that too, that we haven't covered yet on the podcast, but just about the feminine and praise, because I think like there's, I think this assumption that like, Oh, if I tell, you know, my woman that she's beautiful a few times like she'll just know it forever and like that isn't really how it works and um it kind of reminds me of like like plant food or like watering your plant like praise for the feminine is like water it's like it's like gonna grow the plant and it and you can't just water a plant a few times and be like oh that's it like it's good it'll be fine forever like no it needs requires regular water so it sounds like yeah what they were sort of showering, like food on you, like emotionally speaking, like the praise. And like, it's just, I feel like one of those things that often gets missed because, um, yeah, the masculine can be like purpose-driven and sort of like, I remember watching a sitcom once and the wife was like, I don't know if you still love me. And he's like, I married you. I met uh of course I love you. I married you. That's the ultimate commitment. She's like, but you haven't told me in a while. And it was sort of like in his world, it was like, it's done. Like we did the big thing and you know, like, that's it. Like, I sort of, like made the biggest gesture I can make in my life for you. Of course it still stands. But for the feminine, it's like, but do you, but do you still love me? But do you still find me attractive? But do you still want to have sex with me? Because you know, It's, uh, and it's probably true on the other side too, but I do think there is something about it that is like, it is like food and it's like a little flower and like the flower opens up more. And exactly what we're saying here is if a woman is, has shut down or is shutting down, there's something about praise and appreciation that can help her open up. And I'm guessing maybe help her open up to the, to, to where she can share what the hurt
0: was. Exactly. Yes. With the caveat that she feels safe with the person and also respects him enough. I think my ex-husband was very good at praising me. Although of course I could always use more, but he, I didn't respect him in his direction and his masculine masculinity. So Mm. I didn't feel that we had a safe enough container for me to open up. Mm. But in general, assuming that you have safety and respect in the relationship if a woman is feeling appreciated, she's going to be more open and she's going to tell you how she's feeling so that the two of you can address it versus just hiding her hurt. And, of course, some women are very forthright. They will just tell anyone how they feel all the time, anytime, and that has its own consequences sometimes. And then there's other people who are maybe a little more guarded and either are fine. But if you're building a relationship with your partner, you can't be hiding or that you're missing You're missing an opportunity for connection.
1: So... Yeah. So let's take like a really simple example of a resentment and what, what normally happens and what can happen instead. So it's, let's just say that, you know, the, they split up the household chores and she was going to do the dishes and he was going to take out the trash. Um, I know that's stereotypical, but let's just go <laughs> with it for this example. So if he hasn't taken it out and she's reminded him a couple of times and she, and he still hasn't taken it out, and she starts to build a resentment. Like, what is she supposed to do in that circumstance? And what is he supposed to do in that circumstance? If like, cause uh, what I'm imagining, for example, is he goes to reach for her that night in bed for sex and she's, and she shuts him down partly because she feels resentful. Like, I don't want to be a nag. I don't know what else to do. Like, I'm, I'm annoyed with you. Um, but I'm scared to say I'm annoyed with you for this thing because. I'm a people pleaser or I don't want to make you feel bad, but like my body is closing off. Like I don't, I don't feel like I want to do that with you because of this, this
0: hurt. Yes. So in that example, there's, there are a lot of different schools of thought of how to approach something like that. I'll share the way that I would handle it. And it's drawing, I think from a few different places and then we can dissect a little bit. But if that happened with my partner and he, we were lying in bed and he reached out to me, I'm a very vocal and energetic person, so I would probably growl at him. I would be like, or like, no, you know, or like... Um bare, bare my teeth a little bit or something. (laughs) Uh And he would probably laugh and say, uh, okay, because it's not aggressive. It's just an expression of the energy. And I would say, I'm, I'm mad at you. Like, I feel like I'm doing everything. I'm feeling resentful. I want to clear this resentment. And he would say, okay. And I'd say, you know, in this example, the kitchen is smelly. The kitchen (laughs) is so smelly. Like, it's smelly. I don't like going in there. And when I feel disgusted, I do not feel like having sex. Mm. And I'd be like, oh, okay. Why is it smelly? Well, the trash has been in there for quite a while. You know, I would say something like that. And then he would say, oh, you're right. You know, I haven't taken it out. I'm sorry. And I'd say, I just, I want to feel like everything is clean and neat and organized and beautiful. Because when I feel beautiful, I feel happy. And when I feel happy, I want to connect with you. Mm. So in that example, what I was... What flows for me is to stick with the energy first before putting words on it, and mm. just express, you know, That's my growling, my growling, yeah. express my anger. Get get the message across before we rationally try to uh, like compete with each other for our, for our reasoning, and then that kind of wakes him up. Like, oh, there's something happening here, and it's kind of playful. She's not biting my head off, but she's expressing something. So I find that that wakes up the masculine to stick with the energy versus shaming or. Mm or whatever projecting and then once we're in a place of both feeling kind of playful and open then expressing how I feel so instead of why don't you ever take out the trash Mm -hmm. it's I feel kind of disgusted or I feel shut down or the kitchen is smelly, you know, like the kitchen is smelly if that's the example. And so it's not blaming him. It's just stating what is and how I feel about it. Mm. And then he has the opportunity to say, Oh, I want to fix that. I want her to feel better. Most men, they want their partner to feel better. Most people want their partner to feel better. And then from that place, uh, we can kind of again, playfully go through the feelings and what is. And then the other thing that I was doing is is something Alison Armstrong says, which is tell your partner what it would provide for you. But I, I don't like using that language so much. For me, it's instead of saying, if you do this, it would provide me that, which can feel a little bit manipulative sometimes. I've used that structure with my partner. And he's like well, I'm not here to just, you know, do what you're... It it comes across as me telling him what to do. Like, Mm. oh, if you did this thing, it would make me really happy. He's like, yeah, but you're kind of subtly controlling me because you're telling me that you need me to do this in order for you to be happy. So my version of that is to say, you know this is what I really love about having a clean kitchen, a, a non smelly kitchen mm-hmm. is it makes me really happy. And I love it when it's happy. And when things are really pretty, then I can, you know, I wanted, I want everything to be beautiful. And when everything's beautiful, I just want to connect with you and make love. And, you know, so it's from this place of, of how I, this is, this is what's, what is, this is how I feel. This is how I want to feel. Mm-hmm. And this is like the benefit for both of us, mm-hmm. but it's, it's done in a, in a playful tone and, Eye contact is really important. Whenever there's a, a resentment, it's typically a, a held charge in our nervous system. So we can use all the right words and quotations, but if we're bracing or if we're not connecting with our partner, then they're not going to receive it in the way that we want.
1: Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> I think that's sort of the the part of the reason that a lot of us will hold on to a resentment is because sharing it feels really scary. Like, <clears throat> excuse me, like I'm going to say it and then he's going to attack me or shut down or whatever it is. So we just keep holding on to them and they kind of like, it, it reminds me of like sediment that builds up, like they just build up and then it gets compressed. And over time, it's sort of like, like, not that it's impossible to clear it, but it's so, it's so heavy now. And it's so compressed that you like, it takes a lot more energy and it takes a lot more time. And it takes, you know, a lot of times it takes a counselor or some, another mm-hmm. third party to hold space for that. Um, whereas with something like this, it sounds like you guys take it day by day or you're, you're putting attention on clearing resentments as they come up. Um, the fact that you even have language around it, like clearing resentments, most people don't have that. They don't have language. They don't have skills. They don't have an idea of how to do it. It's just sort of like, a, a mush of things. Um, so I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to the process that you mentioned, to me earlier, which is called five minute relationship repair. Um, because I feel like that's kind of has also informed what you guys do.
0: Yes. So there's two experts in the area, this area that I really like. And one of them is Susan Campbell and she has a book called the five minute relationship repair. And it talks about how to clear resentments and how to repair any relationship rupture. Hers is a little more heady. It's it's good, but there are, you know, a lot of steps versus like a David Data or a tantric approach is much more about the energy. I mean, in a David Data example, you would probably growl at your partner, like playfully pull on his arm, you know, like seduce him seductively to the kitchen and then point at the trash and stomp your foot. You could do the whole thing without even talking mm. and and get the message across. It would mm-hmm. just be the energy, whereas... Susan Campbell's approach is a little more heady, but it is also based in attachment theory and nervous system and recognizing your triggers, which I really like. And then I also just want to mention the Imago. And Imago is a system for clearing resentments and having dialogue and being heard that uses a lot of mirroring. And that is by uh, Harville Hendricks mm-hmm. and his book, Getting the Love That You Want. So both of those are really good resources. But it's basically saying, you know, I'd like to. I'd like to talk with you about something. Is it a good time? This is the Susan Campbell thing. You know, I, I'm getting triggered about this thing. This is my story about it. This is how I reacted. But this is how I really felt, and this is my fear. So it's basically taking the layers of the onion piece by piece. Like, hey, can we check in about something? Um, this is what happened. I got triggered. This is my story. This is what I did to you, with, you know as a result of that. But here's what I was feeling, and here's, here's what I really... Um, was afraid of. It all comes down to vulnerability. Like, can you express the energy and then get to the vulnerable piece, which is, this is how I feel. This is what I, this is how I want to feel.
1: Yeah. And I'm curious, since you do work with a lot of women, um, in varying stages. So single women all the way through married Mm -hmm. women, um, have you found that this is related to their, to their sexuality and their sexual openness,
0: like in your work has as learning how to do this impacted their sex lives. Absolutely. I mean, the women who are working with me are taking responsibility for how do I feel what's going on inside my body? Oh, I'm responsible for getting my own needs met. Oh, I get to choose how I want to show up in relationship. And then they're building a foundation of connection and vulnerability and authenticity throughout the relationship. So they're feeling more empowered. So a, they're not getting into sexual situations earlier than they want to. And then feeling resentful about that or Mm. feeling like, Oh, I have to have sex with him if I want to create a relationship or this is what he wants and I better make him happy or whatever those stories are. So they're more empowered about when they're having sex with and with who they're having sex They feel more trusting and safe in their relationships because they're not hiding anything and they're not walking on eggshells and they're recognizing, wait, I'm an amazing woman. I'm going to be in a great relationship, whether this or something better. So why hide my truth? Because if this isn't the right person for me, then I better figure that out sooner rather than later. Of course, from a place of deep compassion and and all of that. So there's just more authenticity, vulnerability and trust throughout so people can make better choices about sex and about partners And then also within the relationship, you've built then this beautiful foundation that the guy knows, oh wait, I can totally trust my woman. Like she's not going to go in quotations, you know, crazy on me or be holding all these resentments. Like I'm going to always know where she stands and she trusts me enough to bring how she feels to me. And so there's just a baseline of the man feeling that the woman trusts him and that the man feeling that the gift of the woman sharing her emotions and what she needs so that he can make her happy and that he can be the, the sort of partner that she wants. So most of the women in my program are like, oh my God, I've, I've had the best sex I've ever had before. This is great. I mean, we also do a lot of embodiment practices. So that really helps. Um, and they, they know um, more about their body and feel more connected to their body and have released a lot of hurt and old trapped emotions and you know old stories and limiting beliefs. But beyond that, there's just deeper connection. And for women, typically, a deeper emotional connection leads to a deeper sexual experience, although mm-hmm. not always the case. Oftentimes, that is the case. And then women that are already in relationship before we start working with them, before I start working with them, a lot of times they, they pivot in the relationship. They get the relationship to a different point where they are feeling heard. They are feeling listened to they're respecting their husband and ways that maybe they weren't before. And they, the couple starts having better sex, more frequent sex. Um, the woman feels more playful more in her feminine, more likely to seduce her partner in that way. Cause for me, if I'm feeling resentful of my partner, I am not gonna wanna put on some sexy lingerie and do a dance for him mm-hmm. because I'm thinking, you don't get this. Uh uh-uh. uh. Like, I'm pissed at you because of this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I'm feeling really good about myself, it's not even so much, oh, you know, my husband had a long day, let me do something nice for him. My dance for him is just an expression of my love for myself and I just want to give from the overflow. It's mm. like, oh, well, I'm feeling sexy and saucy tonight. Like, let me let me wear something sexy and saucy because that's what I want to wear and he benefits from it. So it's a radical act of self-care to clear your resentment so that you don't have to carry that around and then you can freely give more your sexual energy to your partner.
1: Mm. I have a question about the man's role in this. Um And that's related to the the noticing of the withholding. So a lot of times a man can tell that there's something going on and he doesn't know what it is and he doesn't know why, but he can feel that there's some charge and he's kind of like... Maybe he's walking on eggshells or he's like, "Guess I'll go in the other room for a while, like I don't know whats, which happening, makes it worse, <laughs> which makes it worse. So I'm wondering, yeah, in your relationship, is it common for uh Jason to be the one that's like, "Hey, what's uh going on? like what what's happening, or are you the one bringing it up? All the time
0: nine times out of ten, I'm the one bringing it up okay, because I have grown so uncomfortable with feeling uncomfortable in the relationship that I just won't tolerate or indulge myself for longer than needed. Of course, I'll be triggered, and sometimes it, it's not in the instant, it might be a few hours later, but in general, I try not to let it go that long. And a lot of the things we've been talking about are more like the dishes or the trash. Sometimes there's much deeper, deeper seated resentments, like. I don't feel you come on to me as much and I want to feel desired or I really want to feel you more in your power. I feel like I'm, you know, working harder than you are. And that makes me feel resentful. Some of the deeper level things sometimes will take me a few weeks to even feel like, Oh, this is really what's going on. I might Mm be bickering about these other things, but it's just a symptom of the deeper thing that I want to express. So I don't always catch it in the moment, although I try to. And I, once I do have the awareness, I don't like to withhold that from my partner because it feels too reminiscent of my first marriage and I just don't want to go there again so it's like I see the the bomb ticking, whereas before there was just a lot of landmines and I just didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. Now I can kind of see, oh, something is activated. If it's on a countdown, if I don't bring this up, then mm-hmm. then it might escalate in some way. I might shame my partner. I might project onto him. So I, I think it would be great if men notice and check in. Sometimes women's responses will be, I'm fine. It's nothing, which is not very helpful. No, it's not. <laughs> so we can talk about that in, mm-hmm. a, in a moment. Um it feels nice to be checked in with, but I don't expect my partner to, because I have full responsibility for my triggers, my feelings, my needs. And so if I'm needing something and he's not noticing that I want something different from him, then it's up to me to bring it up. So that's just my approach. Although I know a lot of women I work with are like, oh, but if I'm the one hurt, I shouldn't have to tell him why he hurt me. Like he should know that and he should come towards me. And I I get that. But I think that sometimes we expect our partner to read our mind and they just don't they don't know. And also my partner is very introverted. He's very internal and he's not as externally wired. So he just doesn't notice always if I'm feeling off, he's in his own processes and, and that's okay.
1: Yeah. And there's something I just want to speak to since this is my experience, which is, um, I, was attacked a lot by my mom when I was growing up. So my assumption is if I say anything that could possibly be construed as criticism in any way, the other person will attack me. And I've done a lot of work around it and it's like a lot better now. But for me, if I'm acting weird and my partner says like, hey, you're acting a little weird, what's going on? Which is really different than, hey, is everything okay? Right, he's saying, hey, there's something going on. Mm -hmm. What's going on? I feel safer telling him what's going on. I feel, I feel safer. So for me, it doesn't feel like oh, he should be the one, like I'm the one who has a resentment. He should be the one to ask me or I'm the one who got hurt. He should, there's no should for me. It's just, oh, he does want to know. And then I feel safer sharing. So for me, Uh, I would just like to put that out there to the masculine that I really love when the man notices. And I think a lot of men notice and don't say anything because they're scared or because they don't know what to say. But for me, I just I wish that more men knew that that I I would love for more of that of like, hey, I notice there's something that doesn't feel right. What's going on? Which doesn't leave room for, like, oh no, everything's fine. It's like, I have felt and noticed. I can feel that there is something off. What's going on? Is like, that feels very masculine to me and very much like, I'm here and I wanna know. You know, tell me.
0: (laughs) Yes, I love that too. And I think that's really important. And I love your distinction of not just asking, is everything okay, but saying, this is what I'm feeling or noticing, naming what is, and then the partner can respond to that versus just a generic, are you okay? Because if someone says, are you okay? It's almost conditioned in our society to say, yeah, I'm fine. Like, how was your day? It was good. Most people aren't like, well, actually this thing happened. And then I found this awesome thing. Like we're just used to these flat responses. So I love that distinction, Mel. And one thing that Jason does that I really do love is that he, there's many things he does that I really love, but while he doesn't always ask me, Hey, what's going on? Because I'm also very expressive and I probably catch it sooner than, than he does. He does communicate a lot with his presence. And so he'll come up to me and give me a hug or put his hand on my shoulder or, you know, stroke my hair a little bit and say, and how are you? Like, what's alive for you? And, and what else? Tell me more. So he's very good at drawing me out in that way. He just typically isn't good at it's not that he's not good at it, but he doesn't often like call me out on my withholding because either I notice it first and I share or, um, he probably maybe actually, I don't know. I was going to project or hypo- hypothesize that he feels a little more uncomfortable doing that. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I think that's a really good point though, because there's a lot of ways to communicate and some of them are with words, but some of them could be coming up and, and giving her a hug or doing something physical and saying like, How are you Mm -hmm. actually like stopping and being present and asking, how are you? What's going on? That's, you know, can be just as effective as sort of naming it. Like we
0: said, and I want to encourage the masculine to not give up because when I'm in a, I'll just call it a prickly mood. When I'm in a prickly mood where I feel resentful or I feel like isolating or something's going on that I haven't had the courage yet to bring up to my partner and even him just saying, I'd really love to connect. Jason will say that oftentimes, like, I really would love to connect. And even if I say, no, I don't feel like it, or rah, he'll say, I'm here whenever you're ready. You know, he just is very consistent, very steady. He doesn't ha- it need me to be a certain way in order for him to approve of or, or be in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And that just provides a lot of safety that it's not just on his terms, but it's also not just on my terms. And sometimes when he reaches out to touch me, if I'm in a prickly mood, I'll say, "Ugh," or like, oh, don't, don't touch me. Like I can't right now. Now I don't leave and say like, I can't right now. I'm going out with my friends or like, see you later. Like I'm standing there. I'm with him. I'm laying there with him, but, but I'll have this bristle reaction. And then typically once I calm myself down or soften or express how I feel, then that kind of subsides. But if, if, if men who are listening to this, if you approach your partner and she says it's fine, or you reach out to touch her and she kind of bristles or pulls away, please don't run away from the situation. She's not intending to hurt you or like reject you. She just is feeling most likely um, scared and not seen. And she just needs some time to connect with you.
1: Yeah. And I want to just touch on that since you, since you mentioned it with the, the women, the woman's responsibility in the situation, because you, you mentioned the women you work with and a lot of what you talked about was they have spent time becoming embodied. Mm-hmm. They have spent time learning about their, how they feel feminine. That, that, it, it's almost like, it's almost like, uh, when you till the earth to prepare a garden, it feels like that to me. Like a lot of the work that you do with women feels like preparing the garden because you know, I just don't want this to come across as like, this is all a man's responsibility or this is all on the masculine because it's not. And a lot of the times, I think the, the ways that let's say women are communicating about resentments can be very like they're in their masculine and they're, and it's from their head and they are shaming. We've used a lot of words like shaming, but I want to ground it in reality, which is like, God, you never take out the trash. Why don't you ever take out the trash? You can't do anything right. Like that's shaming and angry and from your head and not at all what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. So can you speak a little bit to how you help the women you work with step more into their feminine and, and become, um, it's not softer in their approach, but I would just say, yeah, more feminine in their approach. Um, and I just want to say, as I asked that. it is equally feminine to growl as it is to be a soft pink princess. Like, I think the word feminine in our culture is often conflated with soft pink princess, and that's not what I mean in this circumstance. I mean embodied, you know, feminine in sort of the, like, more consciousness-minded way of saying it.
0: Yes, I'm so glad you made that distinction, because being feminine is not just about being sweet or pretty or all those things. Yeah, I'm very fierce in my feminine with Jason growling or playing or um expressing how I feel but it's from an embodied place, which I think is the difference. When a woman is in her body and communicating energetically, physically, or with words, the transmission is so much deeper and the man can feel her heart. Mm. When he can't feel her heart, if you can't feel a woman's heart, it's scary. If you can't feel anyone's heart, it's scary. If you saw a man across the street who had a ton of sexual energy but no heart, you might be like, ooh. You also might be like, ooh. You know, (laughs) a bit scared. A little little scary, Yeah. yeah. Or if, if there's a woman who is just in her head blaming, or shaming and there's no heart, then, Ooh, that's frightening. Or if she's just being super seductive and sexual, but there's no heart, then it feels manipulative. So the heart is so key and the heart is part of embodiment. But I think of it as getting in your physical body, noticing your reactions, your triggers, what's coming up for you, and then getting into your, your emotional body, your heart-based body. So for the, I'm thinking of myself, particularly if the trash example were happening and it was before we were, you know, laying in bed I might just stand in the kitchen with my shoulders kind of slumped. Maybe I'd be crying or maybe I would just be feeling weary. I'd probably want my partner to notice me, but even if he wasn't, I would probably just say, oh, I feel so overwhelmed and exhausted and I just want to be able to relax and I feel like I can't because I really just, it feels good and smelly and gross in here and I just, I don't want to feel like I have to do everything. And now that sounds a little whiny, <laughs> but it's from a place of like, here's how I'm feeling. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I'm feeling disgusted or I'm, I'm feeling that I don't want to have to do everything anymore. Um, and the doorway and the embodiment is about noticing. Here's a physical sensation. Here's the emotion associated with it. And here's what I really want. So the mm-hmm. other part of that equation is the desire. Like knowing what it is that you want in a situation, or knowing what your desire is on how you want to feel. So it's not just here's this problem, or right? I'm feeling this way. Fix it. It's like, oh, I'm feeling I'm feeling overwhelmed, and I really just want to be able to relax and feel good.
1: Mm-hmm. And Right. And that's very different from stomping around the kitchen, throwing dishes in the sink really hard because you're hoping that he'll notice and magically come in and take the trash out. Like you, <laughs> there's a way, you know, you're not doing that, which is, I think, probably like actually the default in a lot of relationships. You're sort of naming it, but you're doing it by talking about the feeling mm-hmm. instead of, um, yeah, blaming or, or shaming. Mm-hmm. So uh, as we wrap up here, um, if you were just going to point people to one resource, maybe it's just I don't know, something else, what would you say um, would help people the most in terms of how to clear resentments in a relationship with love?
0: I think the first thing to do is establish the couple bubble so that there's safety in bringing up resentment. Because if you have a history of 5, 10, 20 years of a toxic relationship, you A, probably need a mentor or a coach you or a therapist. You definitely need a mentor <laughs> or a coach or a therapist, I'm just going to say, uh-huh. yeah. And, and you know, my husband and I, we work with couples in that way, but you be need to have some agreements. And so an agreement is something like the couple bubble. Okay. We agree to bring things to each other first. And sometimes it's hard to start using the couple bubble if you haven't before. So you need someone to hold space for you. Like, okay, this is our first session using the couple bubble, a couple bubble. Like what are some things you want to say to each other? What do you want to clear? You're and talking about getting, a, having a counselor. Yes. Okay. Someone who can facilitate the process, but you can also just agree to both, you know, read the read the books we re- we suggested. Um, the 5-minute relationship repair is really good. All of David 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 Data's work is really good. And then the getting the love that you want is really good, although it does it is pretty detailed. I think it's very thorough. So I think the first the, the main thing is just getting support, getting a mentor or a coach or a therapist. And the second thing is both agreeing to show up differently when you have conflict or resentment and then using one of the using one of the books.
1: Yeah, and I think just as a as a as an overall frame i think um safety in bringing things up is critical for both parties so just the awareness and the consciousness about that that that, that runs very deep so the the fear of bringing something up and being attacked for me, runs limbic. It's very, very deep. And for many people, that's the case as well. So it's sort of for all of us to just have compassion for each other that many times it's not like our partner wants to withhold from us or we want to withhold from them, but like there's deep seated terror that if we do bring something up, we'll get attacked or left. Mm-hmm. So that's part of why it's a really good idea, um, to have a third party that holds space. Uh, As an investment in the relationship, even if you're not having big fights yet, that's something that I think like premarital counseling, when you're moving into a long-term committed relationship, don't wait for this to be a big thing. Don't wait, like have, figure this out, have a plan, learn how to clear resentments with each other. If you want a thriving sex life, boom, Yes. mic drop, (laughs) can't drop the mic because it's like sitting on the table, but that's okay. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> yes, it is super important to clear the resentment. So you can just enjoy your time with each other more. Yeah. The sex and everything else included. And you know, one of my clients, she started working with me when she was she had been dating her partner at the time for about six months. The first three months, she wasn't sure that she wanted to be with him totally. It was, you know, she's kind of feeling things out. She had gone through a divorce only about eight months earlier. And then when she found me, it was a few months after they had decided to become exclusive and like do the thing, you know, but she had a lot of anxiety. She was not in her body. She had a lot of baggage from her past relationship because her ex was very attacking and she didn't know how to speak up for what she needed and wanted. And her partner also had a lower sex drive than her and she wanted to feel desired. And the so there new was the new, partner, the new partner, the new partner. So there was a lot of different things going on to navigate. Um, but she became way more embodied, way more in her power, less anxious, more clear on her desires and her needs, more clear on her triggers. And now they're talking about moving in together. So it's like, and mm. he's, they, she was just gone for only two days with her daughter and she came back and was still with her daughter. And he was like, her daughter's older, but he was like, can you tell your daughter you're going to the store and just come over for a quickie? And she's like, Oh my God, it was so amazing because he, you know, normally he had had a low, lower sex drive, but the more that she was in her feminine and Mm. her sensuality and able to talk about her resentments in a healthy way, the more he just wanted to come towards her. Mm -hmm. Wow. That's a great story to end on. I love that. (laughs) Um, so people who are
1: interested in working with you or learning more about you, like where can they find you and what are you up to?
0: Yes, they can just go to my website. It's violetlang.com or find me on Instagram, violetlovelang. Uh, and you can either sign up to book a free discovery call with me, or you can follow us and, you know, enjoy the blogs and the videos that we do and see our clients' success stories.
1: And you're launching a podcast soon.
0: Yes. And I also do have a podcast that's launching. It's called Violet Lang's Pleasure Path because it's about finding our pleasure and through that, using that as a doorway into greater fulfillment in our relationships, greater pleasure in our bodies, and more power in everything that we do in the world.
1: And also making it easier to talk about resentments. Yes.
0: In a sexy way. Yes. Cool. Because when you know that your pleasure is very important, anything that doesn't feel pleasurable, like holding a resentment against your partner, you don't want to carry that. You're yeah. like, Hey, we let's just talk about this or yeah. growl about it or <laughs> do whatever. Yeah,
1: <laughs> Excellent. Okay. Any last things you want to share before we wrap?
0: Just that it's really sacred and really important to speak the truth in a loving way. I think we have a culture that thinks of relationships as somewhat discardable. And I admit that sometimes I have treated my relationships as discardable. I can't tell you how many men I dated for just a few months where I never really spoke my truth. Of course, they ended up ghosting me. The relationship and it didn't, didn't end up working out. And I could have just been mad at them of what a dick. He didn't you know, call me back or he just blew me off or whatever. But if I think about it, he was ghosting, but I was ghosting myself. I wasn't showing up in the relationship authentically. And so there was nothing to build, mm-hmm. nothing to build there. So it's just really good, amazing, meaningful work when you can clear a resentment because what you can do in a relationship, then you can do in all the other relationships. Now I can do that with mm-hmm. my employees. I can do that with my friends. And there, I, I will just say also, there may be certain relationships in your life where the level of, of distrust or discomfort is quite large, and you may not choose to take on the mantle of clearing resentments with certain people that you might not feel safe with. If someone has a history of manipulating your emotions or manipulating your vulnerability, using it against you belittling or shaming you gaslighting you uh this isn't something to try with them this is the underlying agreement and assumption that they care about your safety and well-being that they are taking responsibility for their own part of things and they're not just projecting and manipulating so I just want to share that as well but for someone who really does care um why not try to fall in love more every single day Mm. why not see what your partner is capable of and what you're capable of and how deep you can go I before we recorded this podcast I was just sharing with Melanie I was like I'm so in love with my husband today. It feels so good. And it's, it just catches you by surprise. Sometimes he was gone for a few days. And when he was gone, I was in my car eating cashews on the way to an appointment. And I had been really hungry all day. And I was eating the cashews, and it reminded me of feeling really hungry and then having food, and reminding of Burning Man because a lot of times we'll be out, out, out and about like all day, biking around, seeing the art, and we'll get back to camp and we'll have nuts or we'll have some good food. And I thought, oh my god, I just ate a cashew and I fell in love with my husband again. <laughs> and today, I, you know, today I was about to record this podcast with Mel, and I thought, oh, I just fell in love with my husband again. So <laughs> who doesn't want to feel the butterflies and the excitement? All you know, as it keeps going, and we've been together over three years now, so it doesn't the sex doesn't have to decline, it may obviously change, but it can deepen and get better and get richer and get more connected. And the emotional connection can absolutely just go through the roof. So, don't hold back for yourself, you deserve to have a really connected partnership. And even if your man is maybe a little bit resistant at the beginning. This is one way that I think the feminine does actually lead in relationship is through emotional expression Mm. and, and through setting the tone of what's, what's shared in the relationship. If you're not holding any secrets, he won't be holding secrets either.
1: Mm. Cool. Thank you. That was enlightening. And it's all a process learning how to do something like clearing resentments. It's a process. So it's not like you just learn how to do it and you're perfect. It's something that you get better at over the time. Yes. Okay. That's a wrap. That wraps up another episode of Dear Men. Thank you for listening. If you want to reach out, we would love to hear from you. We're on Instagram and Twitter at Dear Men Podcast. That's at Dear Men Podcast. Or Facebook, we have a group, Dear Men Podcast. We also have an email address, dearmenpodcast at gmail.com. If you want to join the Big Sexy Dataset, the community of people who regularly respond to the surveys that we talk about on this podcast, just email us at that address, dearmenpodcast at gmail.com, and we will set you up. Have a sexy day!